about my co-workers but because I worship a holy God I realize that's gossip it's murder with words so I stopped doing that oh and because I used to blame everybody else for the mistakes I made now that I worship a holy God I own my part of that but it's because of the reality of the personality of God that that happens and I believe that one of the things we should start to pray is Lord let me know you as holy 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 What has salvation changed in your life? Knowing God and knowing what a follower of His should look like, has that had any impact on your day-to-day actions? Pastor Daniel will challenge you today to take an honest look at your life and see what grace has altered. And if there's nothing changed, maybe it's an occasion to spend some quality time with your Creator and Savior and let what you discover shape who you are in the world. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Revelation chapter 4 as he continues his message, The Praise of Heaven. Listen to what it says in the middle of verse 6. It says, And in the midst of the throne, this is chapter 4, and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back, The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had the face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And then it says, And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Now, I wanted to give you guys like a great like concept for this, but I just came up with the four living creatures. I tried. Like, I wanted to give you, like, I wanted to give you a great principle to take from this. But really what this is, is this is John's description of these four living creatures, these angels in heaven, right? Now, we're going to see in a moment those angels are going to start worshiping, and we're going to see the content of their worship. But I didn't want us just to kind of blow over the fact that there's not only going to be God and humans in heaven. And what I also want to tell you is that we live in a world where there's not only humans and the things we can see, there is an an angelic realm. There is a spiritual realm that is outside of the realm in which we live, but presses into our realm. And when John gets to heaven, first he's captivated by the throne and all the lights, and we talked about this in the last message, but now his eyes go to these four angels that when you read the description, you're like, well, all right, It's like, look at what it says here. It says, so there's these, around the throne, there are these four living, and they're full of eyes on front and in back. That would be kind of weird, right? Imagine like this, so I almost did this, like put a picture of me and then put a picture of me with all eyes on everywhere in my body. And then I'm like, that would just freak everybody out forever. So I didn't do it, but it's like, there are eyes everywhere on these four living creatures. There's, each one has a different look to them, and we'll talk about that in a second, And then they also each have six wings, and the wings have eyes all over them as well. So what's interesting here is that, remember I told you that the book of Revelation in some 400 verses have over a 1,000 references to the Old Testament. You have to just write in your Bible in your margin, put in Ezekiel chapter 1, 
and Isaiah chapter 6. Because both of those passages have, Ezekiel sees a vision of these different, it's called seraphim in the book of Ezekiel. In the book of Isaiah, they're called cherubim. And what's interesting is these angelic beings that are there are very similar. It's some type of angelic being. Now, what's interesting about this is, of course, the idea of them being full of eyes, it really, people would say that it speaks to the fact that they're just not blind, you know, kind of instruments who act as automatons, but there's some sort of understanding that these, these cherubim have, these angels have. But really what's fascinating is, is that we have to remember that there is an angelic realm. There is a spiritual realm. And the Bible gives us glimpses into it. But by and large, the totality of what is going on there, we don't quite understand. Now, if we had a million years, I would just kind of take you on like a whole biblical thing of like angels in the Bible. All the way back in the book of Genesis, remember, Adam and Eve were not allowed to go back into the Garden of Eden after they ate the tree. And so there was angels put there to protect the Garden of Eden. You know, Jacob wrestled with an angel. There's, there's so much in the scriptures about it. But I think what we have to realize is that we live in a world that there's way more going on than we see. And I always think about that story. Remember when it was Elijah, when they came to arrest Elijah and they surrounded the city and Elijah was like, hey, you need to open Elisha, Elisha, you need to open my servant's eyes. And then all of a sudden the servant realized that there was more for the Lord than was the army around them. A very powerful picture. Right, And so the idea here is that there is more going on here and there is an angelic realm. And we as believers, we may never have seen it, but our Bible testifies of it, so we believe it. And there are these angels. Now, what's interesting, it says here about these four living creatures, right? It says in verse seven, the first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had the face of a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Now, notice the word was like, okay? So it doesn't mean that these angels were a lion, a man, a calf, and an eagle. They were like them. Does that make sense? So it speaks of symbolic language, but many scholars would tell you that what's fascinating about these four images is that it actually gives us kind of the four faces of Jesus in the four gospels. If you read the four gospels, the gospel of Matthew presents Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah. It was written to a Jewish audience. There's no gospel account that has more Old Testament references by name than Matthew's gospel. It speaks of Jesus being the the promised Messiah of the tribe of Judah, right? Like a calf. You remember a calf is a small bovine animal, a beast of burden, right? And so the idea, of course, is Jesus shows himself as the servant in Mark's gospel. More than the line of tribute, we constantly see Jesus doing things. I always like to tell people, Mark's gospel is a great gospel. They're all great, but it's kind of almost like the sports center of the gospels. There's not a lot of long discourses like this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. Then Jesus did this, then he did this. And over and over again, you see Jesus serving humanity as a primary function. So really like the calf, it really speaks to the fact of, of Mark's gospel, Jesus as the servant. Then, of course, the next one, you get the idea of uh, like a man, right? And in Luke's gospel, Jesus is commonly calling himself the son of man. So out of all the four gospels, Luke has this thrust of Jesus being human, right? And then, of course, like a flying eagle, 
John's gospel is the gospel that speaks the most of Jesus in his deity. So some people would say that in, even in these four living creatures, you see kind of four aspects of the, who Jesus is portrayed to be in the gospels. Now, I say that as like a, it's kind of an interesting thought, but let's not pretend that for one second Jesus isn't the lion of the tribe of Judah in Mark, Luke, John. Let's not pretend that Jesus isn't seen as God in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Let's not pretend that we don't see Jesus as a servant in Matthew, Luke, and John. You see what I'm saying? But really what's amazing is, is that God gave us four gospels because he wants to give us the whole story of who Jesus is. And these angels seem to embody some of those very characteristics. Now, what's also interesting, and I pulled this quote out from uh, some rabbinical writings. I'll just share it with you for those of you who like this kind of thing. It says, Rabbi Aben in Shemoth Rabbah said, there are four which have principality in the world. Among intellectual creatures, man. Among birds, the eagle. Among cattle, the ox. And among the wild beasts, the lion. Each of these has a kingdom and a certain magnificence and they are placed under the throne of glory. So it's fascinating. This rabbi sees each one of these four characteristics as who have preeminence in different categories in the created order. So I just throw all that out there for you. Did I lose everybody? Do you want me to tell a joke? No, everyone's good? Okay, good. I realize, like, it's like, these are some ideas, because really these four living creatures are there. Now, let's move to the way that they worship, because look what it says next. It says... And they do not rest day or night saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, what's beautiful is is what we learn here is that you and I, we need to praise God for his holiness. These four living creatures, they were there. It says they didn't rest day or night. There was no sleeping. There was no laziness in these angelic beings. They are there to praise God. They exist to praise God. And what I think is so powerful is that when they start to praise God, they say the word holy three times. Now, I think this is very important because if you know the Bible at all, you realize that in the Hebrew language, when they want to emphasize or amplify an idea, it gets said twice, right? Like there's a beautiful verse in the prophet Isaiah, which says, he will keep you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on him. But if you look in the Hebrew, it actually says, he will keep you in shalom, shalom. It's peace twice. That's the word for peace. And that what it's meant to say, it's not just regular peace. It's an amplified version of peace. And that's why the translation I use says it's perfect peace. Many people always laugh. They say, Pastor Danny, when you pray, you always say amen and amen. And it's not because I stutter. I do that because I want to amplify, like, let it be so, Lord. Right? Now, what's powerful here is they don't just say holy twice. They say it what? Three times which now takes it from an amplified version to a superlative version. If you want a cool word, you want to impress your theological friends, scholars call this the thrice hagion. Because the word hagios in Greek is the word holy, and thrice is Shakespearean for trace, three, yes. So, but what's really powerful here is God is the holy one, the most holy And we should live our lives praising God for his holiness. Now, I think that this is so important for us for a number of reasons. Primarily because I believe that the biggest struggle that Christianity as a whole has today is that within the body of Christ, people want to worship 
God and believe in God. But many people do not want to believe in a holy God. Because a holy God changes everything. Because a God who is holy, I mean, how we can find all through the book of Leviticus, the main idea of the most, one of the most complicated books in the Bible, Leviticus, is be holy as what? The Lord your God is holy. God wants, he's a holy God. And in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, God shares his holiness with us when we believe in Jesus. Just in the same way on the cross, Jesus took our sinfulness upon himself. It's the great reversal, the great switcheroo. We are sinful. Jesus is holy. When, when he dies on a cross and we believe in him, he takes our sinfulness. We get gifted his holiness. But the thing is, is when you worship a holy God, you start to change. And our culture today says, I want to worship God, but I don't want to change. And the reason that is, is because people don't want to worship a holy God. A God who is distinct. And one of the greatest challenges I believe that the church has today is everybody wants to be spiritual, but nobody really wants to change. We want to feel better about ourselves. But God isn't interested in necessarily making us feel better about ourselves or our circumstances. God is interested. We were dead. He wants to make us alive. We are unholy. He wants to make us holy. And I'm here to tell you, you cannot be holy if you always do the same things you always did and say it's being done in Jesus' name. And what's amazing is, is now we live in a day and age, especially in the culture in which we live in, where people think that there's a problem with Christianity because, pray tell, Christianity invites you to be different from the way our culture wants you to be. And people don't want to be told that's not how God created us. That's not God's will for our lives. But what's amazing is the gift of God's holiness in our lives is a transformation. It causes us to say, because we worship a holy God, and not just a, a little holy God, but, but the thrice holy God, because we worship a holy God, he's constantly saying, listen, you used to do that, but now, because I'm making you like me, you can't do that anymore. And that is the sanctification process where we used to party like, you know, it's 1999 or whatever. And now you're like, yeah, I don't do that anymore. Or it's like, I used to cuss or whatever, and now I don't do that anymore. I used to smoke cigarettes like a chimney, but now I realize my lungs are for oxygen. And I need that oxygen to survive, so I don't do that anymore. And I used to talk trash about my coworkers. But because I worship a holy God, I realize that's gossip. It's murder with words. So I stopped doing that. Oh, and because I used to blame everybody else for the mistakes I made, now that I worship a holy God, I own my part of that. But it's because of the reality of the personality of God that that happens. And I believe that one of the things we should start to pray is, Lord, let me know you as holy, holy, holy. The most holy God. Because when we see God as the Holy One, we begin to say, God, I am not wholly left up to my own devices. And I need to see the world through the lens of your holiness, not the culture in which I live. Now, don't get me wrong. I love living today. But there's sometimes people like, man, it'd be such a bummer to live today. I'm like, what? I mean, don't get me wrong. I was looking at some old advertisements and you can get like a McDonald's Happy Meal in 1947 for like 46 cents. And that's kind of cool because now it's like $87. But, you know, and I remember when I first got my first car, 
I used to drive my 1971 orange Carmen Ghia and I could fill that thing up for $4 and 46 cents, five gallons, you know what I mean? It was 99 cents. I used to like raid the quarter jar at my parents' house and I'd go home, I filled the whole gas tank. Now five bucks can get me like a quarter tank, right? But like, I love living in this day and age. I love having the internet. I love having a smartphone in my pocket. I love having access to, I mean, there was, I remember back in the day, if someone called you, if you weren't standing there in your kitchen, when the phone, you, you just missed that. Like, you, like some of you guys remember, it was like you had to schedule your whole life around getting home to watch like Leave It to Beaver or whatever. It's like now it's like, you know, you can watch all the episodes of Leave It to Beaver in one weekend. So I, I love living in this day and age. But the problem of our day and age is we live in a culture that has no sense of holiness. And not only no sense of holiness, no desire for it, no appetite for it. Because our appetites have been hijacked by whatever it is that you want. I was just reading an article about this. It was blowing my mind. And there were, it was an article about the, I'm just going to say it. It was an article about the rapid rise in STDs among retired boomers. Something I never thought I'd say publicly. <laughs> There's a whole article about like what's going on with, for those of you who are older, you know what I mean? And they were talking about some of the issues surrounding it, and not only because we live in a more sexually charged culture, but then they're also saying that the other problem is, is that because of the way benefits work when you're getting remarried, that a lot of older people are choosing not to get married. They're just living together. Or they're not living together and they're doing all the stuff that married couples do because they don't want to lose their benefits. And I'm like, I'm like, what kind of a world do we live in right now? I, don't any of you get any funny ideas either. You know what I'm saying? Like, but when you believe in a holy God, you start to say holiness matters more than a lot of other things. Than anything. So it's not just like, because I, I know we start talking about culture. It's very easy to say it's the younger people who are the problem. Like, oh, no, 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 no. We are all the problem. Like we're all living here. But the recovery of the holiness of God. Listen, brothers and sisters, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, our God is a holy God. More holy and more substantial, so different than what we could ever know. Of course, this makes me think of Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Listen, above it, stood seraphim, each one having six wings. And two, he, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So Isaiah sees something very, very similar. God is holy, holy, holy. He's the Lord God. He's the mighty one who was and who is and who is to come, of course, speaking of the eternality of God. God has, was the past, he is, and he is to come. I like to say that whenever I read about God being the who was and is and is to come, I'm constantly reminded that I can trust God with my past because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. He's the God who was. He's the God of my past and your past. I can trust God with what I'm dealing with today because my God is. I can hope and trust and believe in him for what is happening right now, even if I don't like what's happening. 
And there's no need to worry about the future because my God is the one who is to come. That when I get to what I know to be my future, my father who is holy is already there. Your future is secure because Jesus is real. And I pray if you're struggling with your past, let Jesus be the God of your past. His grace on the cross. If you're worried about what's going to happen today, listen, he's the God who's present with you right where you are. And if you're freaked out about your future, your father's going to be there and he's holy. He's the God who is to come. Now, this is good. I mean, like, and don't miss this worship song that we have here. The living creature worship song is legitimately like 10 words. And it's a rocking song. You know what I mean? It's like, it's holy, 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 Lord God almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now look at what happens next. Because it says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and they were created. So I would say this, not only do we praise God for his holiness, but we praise God for his work, for what God has done. God can be praised for the work that he's done. Now what's powerful about this is it's the, it's the worship of the four living creatures that now provokes these 24 elders to begin to worship as well. And then they start worshiping with their own song. See, this is why I said earlier that we want to be people who are vibrant in our worship because I'm here to tell you that when you are on fire for Jesus, other people are going to catch that fire. It was uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great English prince of preachers, they called him. He said, people come to watch me burn. And my hope is to start a little forest fire. Now, I know using forest fire language is not the best thing in summertime in the Northwest, but you understand what I'm saying. Spiritually speaking, when you are worshiping Jesus and on fire, other people are going to notice that. And the one thing that we need is for too many of us, given all that's going on in the world, we have our lamps and they're not on a lampstand, but we're hiding them in a basket. But your worship life with Jesus is your own personal response to who he was. I can't make you do it. Your spouse can't make you do it. It's something that your soul does in the presence of God. So the worship of the four living creatures now gives rise to the worship of these 24 elders. Now, who are the 24 elders? Does anybody remember? I don't know. Why? Because it doesn't tell us who the 24 elders are. It just says that there's 24 of them. Right? And we talked about this in the last one. I just want to remind you. Someone says, who are the 24 elders? We don't know. I have a rule. When the Bible is silent, we should be also. You don't need to understand everything about the Bible to talk about it. That may be news to you. It's true, though. Pastor Daniel has even been sharing today that he doesn't even understand everything in the Word. What do you need to do, though? You need to be willing to talk about Jesus. Tell people who He is and what He's done in your life. Tell them what you do know and let it inspire them to seek more information about Jesus for themselves. This is an incredible way to honor the Lord in all he's done for you. 
Everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel brings up a great point about the Bible. It's full of seemingly incoherent contradictions. But are they? Pastor Daniel will present evidence that things like Jesus being called both a lion and a lamb is, in fact, possible, even though our minds want to make him only one or the other. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.